Smarties, I'm so excited for you to hear this episode. They call Steph the game guru. And today in this two-part episode, today you're going to hear part one, you are going to find out even more why she's the game guru. We go into Steph's history with games and how she discovered her game guru-ness put that in quotes. And she shares how games are low investment, high return, and other reasons she integrates gameplay into sessions. She also breaks down what type of games work best for different styles of learners. And we send that freebie to you in our weekly email that went out this morning. It goes out every Tuesday morning as the day of the podcast. It's also Tuesday. And she also talks about the impact games have on flexibility. Smarties, if you are lit up by these types of conversations, we would love to coach with you. We love helping other educational therapists, learning specialists, really other professionals. You do not have to be an ed therapist to coach with us or a learning specialist to coach with us. But we love working with other like-minded professionals who are looking to have a broad impact, be most effective in their work, and create a pleasurable, profitable, sustainable business. If you are interested in learning more about coaching with both of us or with either one of us, go ahead and email us at rachelandsteph at learnsmarterpodcast.com. And pro tip, if you are on our email list, you can always hit reply and the email comes directly to us and we do answer and we do respond. Now let's dig into part one of this conversation and don't forget to tune in next week for part two. You want to learn faster, but sometimes working harder is just not the answer. You have to learn smarter. The Educational Therapy Podcast. Hi, Smarties. Welcome to episode 228 of Learn Smarter, the Educational Therapy Podcast. I'm Stephanie Pitts. And I'm Rachel Cap. And today we're talking about one of my favorite things, games. You are the game guru. Thanks. And we've been talking about doing this episode for a long time. I've been wanting to get you to do an episode on games to sort of let our smarty audience peek into your brain and how you're thinking about things because you've taught me so much about how to iterate and up-level games. So I feel like this is going to be an episode where I'm interviewing you, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but asking you a bunch of questions that I already know the answers to because we've had so many conversations. Fair enough. So let's start at the very beginning, (laughs) a very good place to start. (laughs) I can't believe you just sang on the podcast. (laughs) Listen, it's not only Adam that can sing on the podcast. Okay. Oh, okay. Now we know. Okay. You're not going to sing on the podcast? Absolutely not. So we haven't talked about this in a long time, but it's actually my husband, Adam, who did the intro music. And so that's why I was making that joke. Okay, so Steph won't be singing on the podcast. That's fine. We love you anyway. But let's start at the very beginning. Mm-hmm. And bonus points to anybody who knew where that song was from. Mm-hmm. Why don't you tell us why games? Can you talk a little bit, Steph, about why games, but really like how you figured out that this was your zone of genius? How did that happen? That's a good question, actually. And now you're making me think back. Mm -hmm. The reason this started was because I started working with a lot of very resistant learners. The last thing that resistant learners want to do is to go to somebody else who puts work in front of them and makes them do more things that are hard. Mm -hmm. So I was trying to have fun. It seemed like a good way to do things. So 
And that's why I think I started having the trampoline in my office and just having all the things that could potentially make it not seem like I was making them sit and learn. So I remember I bought a few games and the kids just took to the games and it was fun for me as well. I started seeing and understanding their brains more as I watched them play the games. Because you're not just playing games. You're observing, which we're going to talk more about in these two episodes. Yeah. And so I think it evolved from there because then I started looking for more games for two reasons. One, I was getting bored of the games I had. And two, I was looking for games that practiced the same thing, but looked different so that the kids didn't know that we were still doing the same skill. Yeah. I mean, I started cruising through Amazon and I would just like look at games and yeah, when I couldn't sleep, just look at games. With specific kids in mind. Oh, absolutely. You know, as I got different kids and started working with different kids of all the different things that they were struggling with, I started also being able to see with some of the games how I could up-level them so that they could really benefit from them, even though it might seem like a game that they played when they were young, you could still make it into something that would be beneficial for them. And then you already have that buy-in nostalgia factor. Yeah, exactly. Like operation, like you can do a bunch of things with operation and the kids are, I remember playing that game when I was little, even though they, you know, might be 10. And (laughs) They get excited about it. And that's what really, I think, made me feel like this was a zone of genius for me to be able to really make games part of my treatment plan, so to speak, and just help other people know that you don't have to do everything with like teaching with worksheets or things like that. You know, the thing that I remind parents too is that When you think about learning, the first way that we learn when we're in preschool is how? Through play. Yeah. And that's the most basic way to learn and the way that really reaches everybody. I mean, there are a few kids that don't like to play games, but there are very few and far between. So going into sort of your history, I distinctly remember you telling me, you're like, Rach, I think for you, it's EF. And for me, it's games. Do you remember that conversation? Not at all. You were the one who sort of identified that for me. And I remember you saying, like, I really think the thing that makes me different is the way I use games in the treatment plan. And I totally agreed with you. But there was something else that you casually mentioned that I think it's really important for our audience to hear, which is you did not start off your practice owning three, 400 games. Absolutely not. And we would never recommend that somebody feel like they need to have all the games before the kids. No. As we do all our coaching and we work with you Smarties in that capacity, whether it's in Learn Smarter Pro and building your private practices or it's one-on-one coaching while we're working on skills and development and private practice also, 
one of the things that we've really noticed is this pressure to feel like you are ready and you have all the things. Steph did not have all the things. I did not have all the things. And we built the plane as we were flying the plane. So as clients sort of popped up and you knew what skills you wanted to work on, you bought the games at that point and you added to your library and your collection of games at that point. I think it's really important to say like, you didn't start with all these hundreds of games. Absolutely not. I bought a lot of them, but also I get a lot of them from Buy Nothing and Hand Me Down Games. Okay, let's talk about Buy Nothing for a second. Your favorite thing. I love Buy Nothing. I believe I was the one who told you about Buy Nothing. You did. So Buy Nothing is a local to you Facebook group where people share things that they no longer need. And then somebody in the community can ask for it. And also you can ask for things that you also want. Actually, Steph, it's funny because we were talking about how I felt like I needed a second set of microphones Mm -hmm. for the office and my home office. And I was like, you'll send me the link for everything after this episode. You're like, yeah, I got it. I probably will ask on buy nothing if anybody has one before going out and buying it. And then it's local to your community. So people are constantly getting rid of games in my buy nothing as well because their kids are done with it and they want it out of their house. It has to be local to you. And hopefully you live in an area with a vibrant buy nothing group because mine is very vibrant and I believe yours is as well. And you don't live in a community where people are giving away like half used vitamins. <laughs> yeah. That's not what you want. So, okay. So you get a lot off by nothing as well. I do. I get a lot of them, you know, and then it's just another game that I can learn and we'll go into it. But one of the things that's great about trying a new game with a learner is having them practice the skills that you're practicing with a new game that they have to teach you how to play and they have to read the instructions or Google how to play it or whatever it is you're working on, you can incorporate that. That's also fun. So now that we've gone through my history of how we got here, let's just talk about the why Mm -hmm. I started seeing that it was so helpful. I say this all the time. The first thing is their low investment, high return. And what do I mean by that? I mean, you put a game in front of a kid and they're far more likely to want to partake than afterwards. You can talk about what they learned or what they noticed or how it reminded them of something in school. It's not like putting a test in front of them and they're feeling judged. Am I watching and observing and figuring stuff out while they're playing? Absolutely. I'm still getting data But it doesn't look like a grade. It doesn't look like right or wrong. It's just how they got to the answer that they got to. And it's not just you data gathering. It's them building the skill that you wanted them to build anyway. Absolutely. That goes into the practicing the skills without stress. I remember one of the most stressful things as a kid was those mad minutes. Very stressful. I remember like not even finishing it and wanting to just cry. I probably actually did because I couldn't finish, not because I didn't know the answer. I just wasn't fast enough. Yeah. That was so upsetting for me. And there's ways to practice that that doesn't have that stress and doesn't have that anxiety. And that I'm all about that. So that's another reason. Another reason is just their plain old fun. 
<laughs> they just really are. I mean, I've had parents who have said to me, I've taken my kid to other places and they just kick and scream and don't want to go. And you're the first person that they've been, I can't wait to go. When do I go see her again? Because it's just fun. Mm-hmm. And the next thing is reinforcing skills. Now, every kid is different and every kid needs to practice different skills. And you can tailor each game to the skills that you're working on. So if that means it might not look like a traditional way of playing the game and you change it up some or you do something in between turns or whatever it looks like, that can reinforce those skills. And it's all kinds of skills. We're not just talking about reading and writing and math. It's a lot of executive functioning skills as well and memory and all of that. And then the other thing I love to do is up-level a game. One of the best examples I have of this that everybody can relate to is Guess Who? We all remember playing Guess Who? And you can ask the question, does your person have glasses? Okay, so that's a very black and white yes or no question. But you could also ask a question like, has your person been to the eye doctor recently? Well, Somebody who wears glasses has been to the eye doctor. Or you can ask if somebody's bald. Or you can ask, do they need to wear sunscreen or a hat when they go out? So these types of questions have a little deeper meaning and they're doing inferencing and things like that. I was just going to say, it's so good for inferencing. That you wouldn't normally use because it's a very simple question, but this is a way you can up-level it. You can't just ask blank yes or no questions. And I've done this with older learners and it takes them a second, but they also get really creative with it, which I love. Mm -hmm. So that makes it fun. Then the last thing is cooperative learning. Like a lot of kids, especially post-COVID, where they're not used to working in groups or having to do things with someone or they've been in this Zoom world And so this is a skill that's definitely lacking for what I call the COVID kids. So working on some cooperative learning is definitely important. So the next thing that I wanted to ask you about, Steph, is different learning styles and what sort of games work best with different types of learners. And pro tip, if you are on our email list, you will have gotten this freebie in your email this morning when this episode comes out. And if you're not on our email list, first of all, get on our email list (laughs) by going to our website and you can find this episode and you can sign up there to get this particular freebie where we sort of break it down. Well, you sort of break it down. So Steph, can you Talk us through what types of games work best for auditory learners. In case you're not familiar, they are the learners that like to hear things. So games that have conversation or listening to directions or explaining directions, those kinds of games are really, really helpful for them. And if that means that you're reading it to them, sure. Make it however you can to help that type of learner. You can adjust anything. The second type we're talking about is visual learners who like to see things. The kids that need the visual representation of new concepts. So let's say we watch how to play the game on YouTube. Mm. That's really helpful for a lot of them. And then they still have to explain it Mm -hmm. or they still have to walk me through it or 
whatever that looks like. But a lot of games that have pieces and puzzles and things like that, really helpful. The next thing is kinesthetic. So this is a little bit of a blend too, because these kids need hands-on activities to learn new information. So they can learn things through playing the game or games that might not just be a board game that might have movement, or you can add movement to a game that doesn't have movement. So I've done things like playing hoops while you're doing something or kicking a soccer ball. It doesn't have to be this fancy out of the box game or just throwing a ball. Or something that you need to spend a ton of money on. Yeah, absolutely not. You can get a bunch of this stuff at the dollar store. So you have to first understand what type of learner you're dealing with and help them understand what type of learner they are so then you can adjust the game accordingly. We're going to continue talking about games in our next episode, a sneak peek of that in a second. But can you talk a little bit about games and flexibility, how that works together? Flexibility is so important and we don't realize that we don't teach it. And so for those kids that struggle with flexibility, this is sometimes the entire goal. Flexibility is so important in learning in general and being able to live life and be flexible about things. If you have a very rigid learner, this is a great way to practice flexibility without having it be during a meltdown or something that has significant consequences. You can do this a couple of ways. You can take a game, let's say, that they know really well and change the rules. You might have some backlash about it, but this is a great opportunity to practice some flexibility that things can be done differently. You can take turns on who goes first. And it could be as easy as not using their favorite color or game piece. I don't know, Steph. I'm always the thimble. See, I knew it was going to come out. Exactly. I'm actually not the thimble. I'm the ship in Monopoly. Mm, Yeah. mm -hmm. See, so not using your favorite game piece. Okay, so let's talk about that for a second. Because number one, there's a decision that you'll be okay with not using that piece. Mm -hmm. But let's say I was using your piece, Mm. your quote unquote piece in the game you have to constantly remember not to pick up the one that you're used to. And that's a mindset shift. Mm -hmm. That's okay. And that's not your piece this time. And that's hard for a lot of learners. It's hard for a lot of adults too. Yeah. I want to be the cruise ship. See? (laughs) Okay. So I think this has been a really good introduction into this conversation. Next week, we're going to talk more about how you use games to informally assess and build up metacognition, which is awareness about your own learning and thinking. And I'm really glad that we're finally doing these episodes stuff yeah. <laughs> because it's been a long time coming. It has. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not on you. We've had other things going on and I feel like we haven't been recording that much lately. No, we haven't. Let's just be honest. I'm always used to a faster turnaround on things. So as she rolls her eyes, you guys didn't see it. 100% because it's so true. Listen, I want what I want. And I want it yesterday. Yesterday. (laughs) (laughs) In that vein, we'll see you next week, Smarties. Have a great week. Have a great week.